verses. Um, we're going to begin our reading, I believe just two verses, in 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. And once you have found that and put your finger there, you can go to Hebrews chapter 10. So 1 Samuel chapter 14. As well as Hebrews chapter 10. In 1 Samuel is where we'll start the reading, and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we'll read verse 6 and 7 of that reading. It says this. And Jonathan, this is the son of Saul, and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. I'll conclude our reading there. I would ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin our reading in verse 32 and read down to verse 39. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. The writer says this, But call to remembrance the former days, in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly, just means sometimes, whilst you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For he had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward." For you have need of patience that, after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The title of our message this morning will be drawn from verse 38 and 39 of our scripture reading. And the title of our message today is, Don't Draw Back. Don't Draw Back. I don't remember the circumstance this week that Kathleen and I were talking about this, but she brought up a a kind of humorous situation that we went through about seven years ago. On Christmas Day, uh, we were driving out to my mom's house, and it was a big country road. And uh, in Indiana, we see a lot more snow than what is seen down here. And so um, sometimes uh, I'd get a little confident about my driving skills and uh, probably go a little too fast and try to stop a little too abruptly or just have confidence that I can slide just at the right pace and make the turn. And um, one of those occasions, it was Christmas morning, we were headed out to my mom's house. Judson was our only kid at the time. 
And I ended up about six inches from a stop sign in the ditch. And um, Christmas morning is not a convenient time to call your friends and ask for help. Uh, But nonetheless, I called my two brother-in-laws who were also headed to my mom's house. And I asked them to come and to help us get out of the ditch. And um, at that time, we were young and broke. And the thought of a $100 towing bill, Brother Kenny, was just a little too much for me to think about. And uh, so they came, and we got out of the car, and it wasn't but probably two or three feet into the ditch, and after I had tried to reverse it and put it in drive and get it out there, just I was stuck, nothing I could do. And we stood there for a few moments, and we looked at uh, the car, and um, my older brother-in-law finally went up, and he grabbed the corner of that car, and just as hard as he could, he just started to lift. And that car just barely moved. He's real strong. An all-national wrestler back whenever he was younger. But I saw that, and I thought for a moment, maybe we can do this. It inspired me. So I went, and I grabbed near where he was at, and I lifted And it lifted a little bit more. And finally, we realized we're on to something. So Kathleen got in the driver's seat, and my third, the third man, uh, my other brother-in-law, he grabbed it, and with all of our might, we lifted, and thankfully, we got it out. What it took was one person being very courageous and being willing to look like a fool. Because had that car not budged, we probably would have laughed at him. And we probably would have remarked when we got home uh, some humorous comment. And perhaps it would have gone down in the the memory bank of our family. And perhaps every Christmas we would have made fun of him. But it worked. It worked. The title of our message today is Don't Draw Back. What I'm reminded of today is I I feel as though uh, very much that people often live their lives afraid. Afraid of what other people are going to say. Afraid of being judged harshly by somebody that you love. Afraid that if you attempt to do something, perhaps if we take it to a spiritual realm and you say, you know, I feel like I I have this person in my mind and in my heart and I won't go away. I continuously think of this person and their welfare, their spiritual welfare, be it somebody who's been saved and out of church, be it somebody who's lost and randomly they come to my mind and come to my heart and I, I know that I at least, in the very least, have a desire, but even beyond that, I feel almost a compelling from God periodically to try and encourage that person towards the right path, but I draw back. Now, if I'm being honest this morning, I'm shamefully going to tell you that I have drawn back a lot more than I have pressed forward. But I'm trying to find some new habits in life. I'm trying to draw back less. I'm trying to those things that often I would sit and contemplate doing. 
Perhaps you see somebody here at the church and you notice they're, they're, a little, they're not acting the same. You know, they're, they're a little discouraged. Something might be wrong. Normally I'll make a mental note of it and then if I really notice it, I'll mention it to Kathleen. I don't do anything. A friend who, juggling the same thing that all young parents juggle, work and marriage and children and all the things. And I know, man, they've got to be struggling. Because we all go through seasons of that at that age. And rather than stepping out, reaching out, and, and, and perhaps imposing myself, I draw back. I don't want to be like that. I think our world suffers much because people are breaking and they're at the point of breaking. And we know to some degree that they've got to be at some point to that point of breaking. We look at the chaos that is just found in some people's life and we know that. And yet, all the whispers of our culture and of Satan and of our fallen mind cause us, for whatever reason, to find the excuse to draw back. The purpose of my message this morning is to encourage you, don't draw back. The author here, you know, I love when we read the scriptures and this is one of those scriptures that I've read so many times and I've even had questions about what it meant and couldn't figure out. And then it's like manna from heaven when God just allows you to see something in a different light and you say, I know what that means now. I I, I see it now. And it's been there on the page all the time, but my heart has clouded the meaning of it. And I hope this morning that God would help me to do this. You know, one of the things that's most amazing to me is the times in our life, or perhaps the time in our life where we were least hesitant to draw back. And I'm speaking from a spiritual perspective. And it was the same point, and I think this point that often is observed when we see people get saved, we'll note how bright they are and how bold they are. And I want you to recognize that that's a biblical concept that is found right here. Because whoever the author is, this is one of the reasons, this text is one of the reasons that I believe it's Paul the Apostle. Nonetheless, whoever it was, he calls these people to remembrance in the first 10 chapters from uh, chapter 1, verse 1 until chapter 10 around verse 19. Paul is just stating these wonderful truths or the author is stating these wonderful truths. And then in verse 20, he begins to pivot and he says, in lieu of these things, here's how I want you to live your life and act. And he gets here to verse 32, and in one way to inspire them to action, he says, remember what it was like when you were first saved. Listen to what he says here. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. After God saved these people, after they were illuminated in their minds, 
I think partly there from what he's going to talk about, whenever you're illuminated, whenever God first saves you, one of the greatest blessings of salvation is that you're able to see the world different and for at least a brief moment, prioritize the way things the way they ought to be prioritized. You care more about the souls of people rather than just uh, your own, uh, how people are going to perceive you. And so Oftentimes, people are eager to step out and to testify. I remember I had a friend a number of years ago who, after God saved him, we were in the midst of a revival and he got saved on a Monday night. And night after night after night, God had filled him up so much and he was so grateful as just a young boy after being saved. Every single night, he would stand up and he would be trembling a little bit and he would say, I just want to thank God for my salvation. And the only way I know to do it is to sing this song. So four or five nights in a row... Thank you, Lord, was the song that he'd get up and sing. And it became the anthem of that revival because though all of us had heard the song over and over each night, what was so refreshing was the heart that it was emanating from. We knew that it was a young Christian, perhaps uh, uh, immaturely acting to some degree, perhaps even prematurely acting. But what we all could understand was that when we were first illuminated, we so valued what God did to us that it is as though our cup was running over despite every attempt to clamp it down. Here, he says, remember those days? I ask you that question. Do you remember the days, perhaps you say, it wasn't when I, was, I wasn't, when I was saved, I wasn't so mindful of other people, but have there been times in your life where you were? One of the fruits of salvation is that very thing, that love compels you to be concerned about other people. Have there been times in your life, perhaps you've been in revival services where all of that week, I remember Brother Brian mentioning here uh, before a, uh, or, or right after our business meeting a few weeks ago, where he said, you know, during revival, all I could think about was the things transpiring here. Maybe it wasn't the moment you got saved. Maybe it was some moment after where your heart was just focused and, and you were illuminated. You saw the spiritual And that inward man is what was causing you to live. Here, the author is saying, remember that? People, that's what we need today. People not thinking about the judgments of men, but thinking about what is important and being illuminated. Once again, refreshed, or as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that you would be renewed in your mind. This week I came over to the church really early. One of my favorite things to do when I come over to the church is Get here before the sun comes up, sit over here on the side panel, watch the light shine in. It goes from being completely dark, and then the light comes in through these windows. And sometimes I'll have some earplugs in, I'll be listening to music. And this week I was doing that. A song I've heard many, many times. The sun was coming up, the sunbeams were beaming in here. And this song was talking about how all creatures ought to give praise and honor to God. And my cup was just running over. Because it was as though in that moment the Spirit of God helped to refresh my spiritual eyes. And I saw God's glory for what it truly is and how I have periodically seen it. And all I could do was confess how great that God was. It would have been a mighty funny thing for Laura to walk in here and seen that during school. Right? I just couldn't help. Praise God and lose sight for a moment. These people did that. But they did it in a very unique situation. One that is just marvelous to think about. Listen to what it says here. 
Verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured a great fight of afflictions. Here it was saying, when they were illuminated, they just, they just, they just went. They just did. It didn't scare them. They just served God. And, they, 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 and it continues in verse 33. And it says, there were two ways in which that they were persecuted at this time. One was they became a gazing stock is how he puts it. Other words, this, while they're doing things, people are ridiculing and trying to hurt them personally. They're looking at them. And, you know, we say today we often have within this uh, within our lives, if I come to this place and I begin to preach about abortion, I know that you all agree with me. And it's an easy thing to do to get up here and talk about the evils of abortion and talk about how awful that it is and how it's ungodly. But listen, it's a whole different thing this past week when these lawyers are standing up before the Supreme Court and there's nine of the most brilliant lawyers in the country and in the world standing before them and they're arguing the case that they're arguing to overturn Roe versus Wade and they know all the vitriol of our culture and all the vitriol of the media. They know everybody is going to be doing everything they can to seize and judgment upon them and ridicule them. It's a whole different thing when you are the object of people's attacks. These people were. But what he is bringing out is he's saying, remember when that was the case, but it didn't call you, cause you to draw back? You were bold. You were fearless. He said, sometimes... The persecution you experienced was from direct ridicule towards you and what you did. But other times, you weren't afraid to be cast in the same boat as people who were being ridiculed. Listen to what he says. Second part of verse 33. And partly, whilst you became companions of them that were so used, for you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully. The spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You ever been in a group of people before? Maybe 10 or 15 people and maybe your friends, maybe just acquaintances, family members, whatever the case is. People that you're not really close to, but you have respect for. And everybody starts talking about a subject and you completely disagree with what they're saying. But then the nature of the conversation not only turns to just saying that this is right, but then scoffing a little bit at people who wouldn't believe that. And then, if you're like me, I start getting a little warm in my head, and thinking, well, do I say something here? Because I know there's a good chance that the, the wolves are going to come against me. And I'm, I'm putting myself out there. And don't get me wrong, there are expedient times to draw back or rather show prudence and say, you know what, this probably isn't the time to do this. I'm not saying that every single time that happens, you ought to just run ahead first and be belligerent. But is the reason why we're not doing it is because we determine spiritually that it's probably not a prudent measure that won't be profitable to people or are we doing it because we're afraid? Here's what happened. The author says, remember, not only were you willing to be made a gazing stock and be persecuted yourself, but then when you weren't the object of attack, you gladly said, hey, he's being attacked, I'm with him. She's being attacked, I'm with her. You can ridicule all day long, that's okay, 
But I know and I believe that they're right and I stand behind them. And it seems to imply to me here, one of the things that was taking place is that these early young Christian people were ministering to the person in prison by bringing them goods, bringing them food, bringing them clothing. But as is common during that time and really any era of time, what would happen is that the people who were the wards over them or the wardens over them would would, would, uh, would, would go through those belongings and keep from some for themselves or would charge whenever I go over to Africa. One of the difficult things is that those government officials will charge you an additional tax. But that you know where that tax comes from? Their own mind. So one day a person might show up and that might cost $10 and another day the tax might cost $50. And what they're going to do is just judge and determine, well, what do I want today? And it says here that they were willingly identified with the people of God, that they were, they were happy to pay the cost of being identified with them and having their goods stolen, and that that was the zeal and boldness that they had for the gospel. And the reason why they were willing to do it is because they were not considering the cost down here, but the enduring reward in heaven for doing it. Listen. There is, the Bible speaks over and over, I don't talk a lot about it, I don't even think that much about it because I don't think it's necessarily a good thing to to dwell on, though it's okay to talk about. Listen, there are treasures in heaven. There are rewards in heaven. And here he's saying what these people were mindful of is not what they were losing naturally, but what they were gaining spiritually. And when they suffered loss down here, it in no way deterred them from continuing to do what's right. Here's a temptation Satan will use against us. We, we wait to see the success of what we're doing to determine whether we should continue to do it or not. So if I say, you know what, I'm going to go help this group of people or do this group of thing, then if we get praise from other people, then it encourages us to just continue doing that. If we begin to see success, then we continue to go that way. And so very often we, we apply um, principles of the natural realm to the spiritual realm. But we ought not to do that. The fundamental question that matters is this, is God compelling me to love people this way? And if so... Don't draw back. Here, listen to what he continues to say in verse 35. This is such an awesome, awesome verse. 35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. As is common in the New Testament, words in the Greek are very difficult to explain in, in uh, English. So it would take many words to explain it. And I, don't, I, don't, I won't be able to sufficiently do it. But let's look at the word confidence for a moment. This same word is translated, I believe, in Acts chapter 3 when it said, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that word boldness, it's the same word here, confidence. When it talks about Jesus and how he would go out and he would talk openly, that's the word it used, that he would openly teach them in the synagogues the things of God. It's the same word, confidence here. There's another occasion, it's not coming to my mind, where it's a fearlessness. So notice, to me, there's two parts to this meaning, right? There's one that a person is fully persuaded in themselves. They are comfortable where they stand. You ever had an opinion about something that you maybe developed that opinion uh, prematurely, too, too quickly? And then you get challenged on that opinion 
and you're saying, ooh, I haven't really thought through this as much as I thought I had. And it makes you backpedal, it makes you hesitate, and it makes you uncertain. And you say, you know, I, I, let me think more about it. Or maybe you can get a little embarrassed because you say, you know, I said I believe this, but actually I'm not sure if I do or not. One part of this word is saying that these people were so deeply convicted and convinced in their mind, much of you, perhaps we could go back to one of the most fundamental teachings that we have at this church, and that is that a person uh, being having a true conversion experience, that you are confident and assured, not only by your own experience, but by the experience and testimonies of others, by the people you have witnessed gotten saved, by people whose lives you've been transformed from that moment of conversion, that you might say in your mind, I am confident and not afraid, that people can challenge me, people can ridicule me, but I know what happened to me. There is confidence, full confidence in how I believe about salvation. That comes first from within. But then there's a second part of this word, and it is that that confidence is so deeply settled within you that it causes you to project it unashamedly. That's why when it says about Jesus, you know, imagine, I said this the other night in Revival. When you think of the most brave and courageous men in the Bible, who do you think of? Well, you probably think of David, Joshua, Samson, the mighty men of David. The list goes on of these warriors. Let me tell you the most masculine, brave man in the Bible, his name was Jesus. Jesus. And that's one way in which he demonstrated his courage. You know, today you hear about toxic masculinity. I think the opposite problem is really true. Men are too afraid and hesitant and effeminate and not willing to be bold and brave and say, this is the principle upon my, which my life is built and no amount of taunting, no amount of ridicule is going to cause me to back down and be afraid. You can question my motives. You can say that I'm being proud just like they did about Jesus, just like they did about Paul. But listen, I know this to be true and I want you to believe it as well. Jesus, one of the ways that he was bold and he was brave, that he showed what we'd call masculinity, is that he would go knowing that all the religious elite, knowing that all the people were going to do everything. And in one of the first occasions we read, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 8, of Jesus going before and speaking to the people. They wanted to take him to the edge of a cliff and just cast him off. That's one of the ways that he began his earthly ministry. But what did that experience do? Did it cause him to wilt like a flower and be afraid and draw back? No, rather, the Bible teaches us that he would go into cities and he would proclaim the truth to anybody who would hear it. He would reason with people and establish truth. In that fashion, I want to follow Jesus. I want to have confident assurance Despite the arena that I find myself in, I want to have confident assurance that as God is leading me, I'll boldly stand for him. I don't want to draw back. He says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Don't. Don't wilt. Think of somebody right now that would terrify you to witness to. Many of you have probably already thought of somebody. Maybe that person's been in your mind for a very long time. Somebody say, you know, I just don't even know how, I can't even predict how they would respond. They're smarter than me, they're more articulate, they know the Bible better than I do, they disagree with me, and I'm afraid. It'll jeopardize our relationship. Listen, I'm not saying you might be the one that God's going to use, perhaps it's somebody else. 
But here's what I'm saying. You need to get to a place in your heart where you're not afraid. Where you can say, as the prophet Isaiah, as the prophet Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah had a terrifying thing before him. And in some ways we could say he ought to have been afraid, right? Now, courage is not the absence of fear. That's not what courage is, and that's what people think. You don't think that Jesus was afraid? Oh, don't you see the prayer in the garden? He didn't want to have to endure that. You think those mighty men of God, whenever they stood and they fought, that they weren't afraid? I mean, they had families just like you do. They considered what, where the welfare of their wives would be, just like you would. It's not that you don't tremble and fear and lose sleep. Those things will be, may be required of you and I both to be effective in the cause of God. But it's trusting and knowing the second part of verse 35 that when all of those fears and anxieties are churning over in our mind, suppressing us and causing us to draw back, we then, when we allow that to dictate our actions, we then uh, forget the last part of uh, verse 35 that says this, which hath great recompense of reward. Or in other words this, they had great consideration for the reward of doing it. So, for a moment, this. Don't think of the consequence of failure. Think about the possibility of success. I felt like Joel Osteen when I just said that. (laughs) But really, I mean, what if God leads, leads you into the endeavor to talk to somebody? And you ever have those times where you do it and your voice is quivering and it kind of embarrasses you? You don't think that was the case with the prophets? I do. You don't think when Paul was there in prison before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26? You know, the Bible tells us at the end of that chapter that Agrippa's knees were shaking. Or maybe that's the Philippian jailer, one of the two. You know, at first they were the ones in authority and their knees were shaking. But I bet at the beginning of that, I bet Paul's knees were shaking. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is just rightly prioritizing and saying, you know what, my emotions and feelings will not dictate what is right. And God, if you want me to do this, give me the grace to do it. And proceeding forward. It says they didn't cast away their confidence, knowing that there would be a great reward if they continued down that path of being bold. You know, sometimes this comes in the way of doing as I've talked, witnessing to people. And other times it comes in the ways of life decisions. Where perhaps we're headed down this path of life and we're pretty deep into it. And God begins to convict us about it. And says, you don't need to do that anymore. And then here all the thoughts begin to cross my mind. Yeah, but a lot of my income comes from this. Or... Any other number of things these people are depending on, or I would disappoint this person. And you go this deep into life. And so let me ask you this question. Is it better to have disobeyed God for 15 years or 50 years? Is it better because you say, you know, all these people are depending on me. I don't want to let them down. What about letting God down? You may face scrutiny, intense scrutiny. You know, when I was in, 
I was a junior in high school, I played basketball, and, um, excuse me, when I was a sophomore in high school, I played basketball, and um, I was pretty decent at basketball, and the next year, we had a bunch of graduating seniors in my sophomore year, so next year was going to be my year, you know what I mean? I was going to be the guy, me and a couple of my friends, and I was really excited about it. A lot of my life, I looked forward to that moment, and then God called me to preach, and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a little more complexity to the situation than I could explain, but I didn't think at the time that I could balance both. Because the culture of our basketball team was not, uh, I didn't think could coexist with the culture of being a preacher. I'll just put it that way. So one of the hardest decisions I ever had was go sitting in my coach's office and saying, Coach, I quit. I mean, it hurt real bad. And I was stuck in between this trying to explain to a person whose eyes were set on carnal things, spiritual explanations. And it just didn't go over well. But that wasn't the worst conversation because ultimately, I'm just one player amidst 35 years of coaching. He'll long forget about me. But what was really hard is facing those kids that I had started in, what, the fourth grade playing basketball with? And every year, and all those conversations we had, spending the night with one another, talking about when we get to high school, when we're playing in the sectionals, when we're... Having to go tell them, you know what? I'm sorry, guys, I quit. And then, after telling them, facing their mistreatment, I mean, it wasn't anything obscene, but there was just a... just I could feel, a, you know, I felt uncomfortable around them. And it probably took the whole season before we started kind of being friends again. And I say that to say this. It was really hard. It was really hard. And perhaps you're down this path and God's calling you out of it. Don't consider the loss. Consider the reward of obedience. Because God knows the sacrifice that you're making. Here he continues, and I'm not going to be much longer today. Verse 38 and verse 39, here's what he says. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Verse 38 and 39 has always confused me until this week. I think I know what it means now. Verse 39 says this. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Key word in those verses is the word of. Um. One of the things I'm trying to teach my boys now is we, um, we'll get around other kids sometimes and those kids will misbehave. And sometimes, like is natural for kids, if you know, the whole group is misbehaving, then my kids start misbehaving despite knowing that's not the way we behave ourselves. Right? And so you all know the conversation you have to have is you say, you know, we don't behave that way. And they said, yeah, but so-and-so's mom lets them. And I say, what? Well, I'm not so-and-so's mom, right? You go through that whole explanation. But at the foundation of what you're trying to tell them is this. What verse 39 is saying. We're not of those people. Right? Like our, our attitudes and values are different. And because you're a Hicks, we behave ourselves this way. And even more fundamental than being a Hicks, because you're a Christian... Because we follow Jesus Christ, 
We act this way, and that is who we are of. That is the person that we spring forth from. And here's what the author in Hebrews is trying to tell us. He's trying to encourage us to go out and live bold lives of faith, being willing to face whatever opposition that might be ahead of us, be willing to face any hardships and afflictions that come our way. And he's saying, listen, we do not come from a line of people who when they're faced with difficulty, back away in fear, but we are of those who believe under the saving of the soul. And here's why I believe that this is what this means is because the all the next chapter he lists all the people that we come from right he says he begins with Abel and then goes to Enoch and then he goes to Noah and then to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then Sarah and then Moses and then Rahab and he begins to list all of these people who when they were confronted with hardship and they had to step out and have those uh, preach the gospel like like Noah did for 120 years despite the ridicule Noah was not one that backed down and ran away but every day he kept hammering away but both on the boat and on people's hearts. He did not draw back. He's not afraid. We're not of people. Our lineage. Go back and read whatever history book you want of the Baptist and you'll read. Even this church. We don't come from a group of people who are cowards. We don't back down. I would say today, many of God's, we wonder why Christianity is failing. It's because very often in moments, in pivotal moments, where we can stand for the faith, find ourselves being cowards we're not of that stock we're not of people who are afraid we're of people who in our hearts are convicted of truth who God reveals it to us and we don't draw back we stand firm in our faith and we pursue the spiritual rewards which I believe more so than anything are the souls of other men and we fight that's what we do Here he gives us this long list. All these people. And what he's trying to do, so he first says this. Remember how you were when you first got saved? Remember that. So he's giving you the, he's trying to inspire you to action. Remember how you first were in your boldness? And then he goes to the second thing and he says, remember where you came from? We're not of them that draw back, but of them that believe unto the saving of the soul. And then he says, well, if you don't remember where you came from, let me just tell you all the people you came from. And he lists our heritage. You know, I would, I would imagine, you know, it's, it's often the case when you have a great father or grandfather that you feel crushed by the weight of living up to their name. He gives us all these lists of people. And then one of my, it's become one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And he, he gets so overwhelmed with the examples. He says, and what more shall I say? Time shall not permit me to tell you of. And he lists all these people. And then he lists all the things that they faced. Listen to this in verse 34 of the next chapter. Or verse 33 of the next chapter, he says this. They subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, quitched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. He continues and says this, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about with sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented, and they did not turn back. They kept fighting. They didn't give up. 
come from a long list of people who don't draw back. And then he goes into chapter 12. I love what he says there, because then he turns it to us. And he says this, wherefore, laying aside every weight and the sins which doth so easily beset you, run with patience the race set before you, considering. Oh, he uses, I love how he does it. He uses, he, he leaves the last, the best example for last. Oh, you can dismiss all the other people in the Bible and their faith. Oh, but you can't dismiss the faith and courage of Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. That ought to give us boldness. Not be afraid. That meek, humble carpenter, ridiculed and mocked. Oh, when he faced the worst of sufferings and the worst of torments and the most daunting of situations. Imagine being in a, in, a, in a room where you have been sentenced to death and people have cried out to crucify you and there you are with the whole group of soldiers, tough, strong men with scourges mocking and ridiculing and punching you and spitting in your face. Imagine the natural fear that would overcome you. He didn't recant. He didn't fall down and wither. No, he stood up and he carried his cross. That's what he did. He picked up his cross. When his body wouldn't allow him to go on, that's whenever he had to have somebody help him. Who is that that helped him? Me and you. Let me be the one not being afraid to be associated with that man Jesus and be willing to say, you know what? You don't have to pick some random man for the crowd. I'll come. Let me help him carry his cross. Who, for the joy that was set before him, for the reward that was waiting. That's why he did it. I'm almost done. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied in your minds. That word contradiction, I don't like that. How it, we don't, that doesn't make sense to us today. It should be something like this, bitter hostility. Consider him who faced such bitter hostility. What? What vibrant emotional words there, right? Lest you faint in your minds. And he concludes, I think, the thought by saying this. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. This thought comes to my mind and I'm done. He says, um, what is the bravest thing that you have ever done for the Lord? What is the bravest thing that you have ever done? As we said, for some it may have been speaking up amidst hostility. For some it may be talking about that loved one, to that loved one that avoids you at all costs and avoids everything about God. For some it may be making decisions in life that you know people will say they're failing to reach their potential. What's the bravest thing you've ever done for the Lord? Would you be afraid to testify about it? Would you be afraid if there was a young brother or sister that needed courage? And in order to encourage him, he said, you know what? 
One time I had to do this, and I was afraid, but God rewarded much more than what the cost was. I've said for months now, I've tried to encourage, and I'll continue to. I mean this with all gentleness, and I want you to find what God wants you to do. I want you to find what God wants you to do. And when he reveals it to you, don't be afraid. Don't back down, because we're not of people who back down. We don't draw back. Revival on Friday night. There's this old man that got up, and you all, many of you know, down in central Tennessee and even perhaps some degree in this area. I'm not as acquainted with these, this area, but a lot of bickering and infighting amongst churches and so-and-so won't fellowship so-and-so. A lot of pettiness when you really get down to it. Stuff that happened 100 years ago that probably didn't even matter that much then, but God, is, excuse me, Satan is used to just divide. This old man spoke up, talked for about 10 or 15 minutes the other night in revival. I was really moved by what he had to say. He said, I was down in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, and my wife and I were visiting, and she was sick one day. And I went out behind where there's a, um, a lake, and I was just sitting there looking. And God spoke to me, and he said, bring my people together. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but when, he learned, when I learned what he meant by that, he was saying, try to go into these churches. He's not a preacher. He, he's not... Somebody of repute. But God said, go and try to bring unity to this division. He, he remembered it so well, he said it was September of 2015. That's how impressionable it was on him. He could remember what God told him to do. And he said, God, I can't do that. I'm not a preacher. I don't have the knowledge that I need. I can't do that. Two years later, the Lord came to him again and said the exact same thing. He had a whole long story that I'm not going to take the time to tell. But he got to the end of it and he said, now I've just determined I'm going to go around and I'm going to do what God told me to do. So here's what I want to tell this church. Would you help me to start loving and forgiving one another instead of fighting with each other? It just brought me to tears of the simplicity what God called him to do. Some 80-year-old man just going around to different church revivals and just saying, let's just love each other and forgive each other. Maybe that's your work. But as the psalmist says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather have the simple job serving the Almighty and His people than to dwell in the center of all the schemes of men and the wickedness of that tent. Today, I want to encourage you. I don't know who this is for. I don't know what this is all about, but I want to encourage you. Don't draw back. One of the awesome things about this morning's service was how, if you noticed in everybody's testimony, what they cited. Did you hear it? I hear what everybody's saying. Thank you. For people who did this for me here. Thank you that you did this. Thank you. All these people in difficult times leaned on one another and were helped. And that's the wonderful thing about us, about our gathering. 
So what you ought to do when you're scared is come and say, I got this boss at work that God wants me to talk to and I'm terrified. And I've disobeyed God a couple times. But I don't want to keep doing that. Help me. Help me. That's what we're for. I pray that God would not would help you not to draw back, but to persevere. That's our message this morning.